Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, August 6th, we are studying Judges chapter 16, verses 22 through 31. Captured by the Philistines, Samson has lost his eyes and his freedom. Yet hints of repentance and hope of redemption dot this text, as Samson has one final act left in his time as Israel's judge. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Joel Heckman. Pastor Heckman serves at St. John's Lutheran Church in Okarchi, Oklahoma. Pastor Heckman, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you, Tim. It's really good to be here. So as we get started this morning, Pastor Heckman, we're at the end of Samson's narrative. We've seen quite a bit about him, learned quite a bit. How does he fit into the book of Judges as a whole? What do we need to know about his narrative particularly as we get into the very end of it today? Yeah, so this comes uh, kind of toward the end of the account of Judges. If you want a little more of the broad context, you can look at uh, the beginning of the book, transitioning from Joshua to Judges. Israel has been going into the Promised Land after the death of Moses to settle and conquer Canaan, and they've they've done quite a bit, and at the, the beginning of Judges, they are looking to kind of close that out. So they saw some initial success when they went in, and if you look at the kind of the first portion of chapter one, you see uh, various tribes completely driving out the inhabitants, uh, the pagan inhabitants that were um, opposing them and occupying their their uh, promised land that God had given them. But then we kind of see just right at verse one, verse twenty-seven, a lot of the problems start coming in because we start seeing, well, this tribe didn't fully drive out their enemies, and this one uh, failed to completely settle the land. Uh, So we wonder, you know, God promised this land to them. Is he failing to fulfill that promise? Well, no, Uh, it's it's the disobedience that's coming into play, as we see in uh, verses like 2 verse 12, where it says Israel abandoned God. Uh, they, 2 verse 10 says they didn't know God. Uh, 3 verse 7 says they're forgetting God. And then a little later, they're doing what's evil in God's sight. So uh, the, the problem that we're going to see in Judges leading all the way up to Samson's context is um, Israel forsaking God to worship uh, false gods, Canaanite gods. And uh, in the final, even the final verse of the the entire book, twenty one twenty five, uh, talks about ever and doing what was right in their own eyes, and um, that's that's really something we can see throughout this entire book, leading up to Samson, just kind of repeating cycles of Israel's sin, uh, judgment against their sin, um, being. Uh, delivered from that um, oppression from enemies in the form of judgment, and then finally um, seeing peace in the land before the the whole cycle begins again. So that happens a lot of different times 
leading up to the portion that we see devoted to Samson. And this is a pretty lengthy narrative compared to um, some of the other narratives. There's one judge who only gets one verse, and Samson gets uh, chapters 13 through 16. So the, the narrator, the writer of Judges, saw fit to really focus a lot on this particular judge. He placed a great importance on seeing the events of Samson's life. And so we we get into the context leading up to what we're going to look at today. And Samson's narrative starts in chapter 13, verse 1, and all the way up through 16, verse 14, is basically everything that happens in Samson's life where we can see different... Um, different attitudes coming through in Samson, different accomplishments through the strength that God gave him. We see he was set apart at birth. Um, he married a Philistine woman that then uh, was betrayed and then killed a lion with his bare hands. A lot of people know that story well. He killed uh, 30 men in Ashkelon uh, after he became estranged from his first Philistine wife, and then he killed a bunch of Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey after they burned his wife and father-in-law. Um, he became involved with a prostitute, and then finally he gets to the, the narrative with Delilah, and that's where we see uh, kind of the final uh, sort of undoing in his life before this story uh, where we see a final triumph that God gives him. Um, and right before, the, just a little portion before the text that we have for today, that's uh, chapter 16, verses 15 through 21. This is where we see uh, Samson, who has, you know, destroyed, uh, you know, lions with his bare hands and um, killed Philistines with a donkey's jawbone, can't uh, resist the charms of Delilah, a single woman, and he gives her the secret to his strength. And, and as you mentioned before, he's been captured by the Philistines, they gouge his eyes out, um, he is uh, grinding a mill in a Philistine prison, and this is really right before this narrative we see Samson probably hitting the lowest point of his life, uh, because it says that his strength has left, and it all, the text also says the Lord has left mm -hmm. Samson, which contrasts uh, chapter 13, verse 25, uh, when it says the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in Samson in a very particular way. So, um, this is that's the context leading up um, where we see Samson has been uh, he's had some triumphs but he's also had some sins he's been unfaithful and now the author is setting us up for one last episode where we see uh, God working something um, tremendous in Samson's life and still using him so that's really the context that I think is really helpful to know before we get into this last portion that we'll focus on. Reminding us of the, the narrative of just judges in general, I think it's helpful going into Samson. We talked about this yesterday a little bit, that you see in Samson's life a picture of Israel in miniature, that what Samson goes through in his life often is a mirror image of what Israel has gone through in the book of Judges. And so you've, you've seen Samson, particularly in the text yesterday when it came to the, the matter of Delilah, in, in his pride 
he's been brought low. And and that's where we, we find him here, which is where we find Israel throughout the book of Judges. Their pride brings them low. The, the Lord lead, gives judgment for their idolatry. He brings them low so that he would then restore them through a, a deliverer. And, and I think that's what we're going to see in, in Samson again today, that same picture of, of Israel in miniature in Samson's own life. So let's start reading here in Judges 16, beginning at verse 22. But the hair of his, the hair of Samson's head, began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now, I, I think I'm actually going to pause right there, Pastor Ackman. I know I told you I was going to read farther, but I lied. So <laughs> we're, we're going to stop right, right there because because I, I think it, I mean, the, the next part is going to go into the Philistines, and it really does stand alone. And and I we purposely included 22 today to kind of see Samson's hit rock bottom, but now this verse is, it seems, is on his way I don't know, back up is maybe not quite right. But already in this very first verse that we've got today, you see hints, hope of of redemption for Samson, it seems, with this matter of his hair starting to grow back. Yeah, and that word uh, begin uh, or began to grow again is really significant. That has some special significance in Samson's story, and it's, it might be easy to just uh, skip over it or, or move past it without... Uh, meditating on it a little bit, but go back to chapter 13, verse 5, when God says, uh, you shall conceive and bear a son, Uh, no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So there's that that word where God is beginning to do a good work in Samson. Uh, 13, verse 25, the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in Samson, and we see God continuing that good work he promised to do, uh, giving Samson his spirit. Um, It was God's grace that even brought Samson into existence, where his mother was barren and God uh, gave his mother, uh, you know, Samson as a son. And so we see this word begin in very gracious situations. And then we, we move on and we see, of course, Samson's troubles beginning, uh, when he, uh, marries a Philistine woman. He, he gets into trouble with Delilah. Um, and he's, he lost his strength and we, and it's, it's a really difficult narrative to read when we see Samson starting off uh, the way he did, and then uh, falling prey to the Philistines. But um, this one verse at the end, it's just kind of embedded in there, and, and it's easy to say, well, okay, why did the narrator choose to mention this little thing again? You know, Samson's hair begins to grow back. And I really think it's a hint of gospel here, um, where Samson is again, hit his lowest point, and uh, his situation is a little ironic because he's he's grinding uh, with a millstone in the Philistines' uh, dungeons or prison or whatever he's he's in right now. Um, and he is the one who had burned their crops earlier, so it, it might have been kind of their way to insult him. So he's at a very low point, but then here when his hair begins to grow back, that's a sign that uh, God is, is giving his strength back. He is... He has not abandoned Samson, uh, even in his, as you said, his, his pride has brought him low, but um, the Lord is still using him. The Lord still has something he's going to uh, do where he promised, I'm going to begin to deliver the people from the Philistines, and um, God does not break his promises. And so 
in spite of Samson uh, doing all he did and putting himself in this position, uh, God is dealing with him graciously. And that's what the growing of the hair is, is kind of talking about. Uh, you know, we see God doing this when uh, Samson was weak in chapter 15 and requests water. God gave him water when he was weak and made him strength, uh, strengthened again. He revived him. And now we're going to see God is preparing to strengthen Samson again. Um, and it's it's the, the same is true for you know, God's people throughout history uh, with this, you know, uh, the idea that, um, you know, God, when people are weak and um, seem to have hit their low point, uh, that's where we see God's strength coming in. We'll talk about that a little bit later uh, in, a, in a verse later. Um, but even looking at that word beginning again, too, uh, just to, to cap this off, um, we see the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, when we are given faith, Paul says, God who has begun a good work in us will bring it to completion, as we see him doing here with Samson. Um, God has begun to restore all of creation through Christ, his death and resurrection. Uh, so all of that is to say, uh, when God begins something, he completes it, even with weak, sinful instruments that we are, he still works through us. And um, this is really a kind of a turn in the text where we see the Lord uh, has not abandoned Samson. He is beginning to not only uh, give Samson his strength, but complete the work of delivering the Philistines. So uh, I think it's, it's, it's more significant than we might think, that verse 22, but it's a very important verse to consider going forward with how it sets up this next portion. Absolutely. And and I think it's not so much the matter of the hair growing back in the sense that like, it's not like the hair is some sort of magical item on Samson's head mm-hmm. that makes him strong, the hair in and of itself, but rather, as you've pointed us toward, this is the Lord at work. It, it was a, a previous guest, I think it was when we were talking about Jephthah, who reminded me of a, a verse from Second Timothy chapter 2, where, where the Apostle Paul says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, God remains faithful, because he cannot deny himself. And I think that this is another perfect example of that playing out now in the life of Samson. It was Samson's faithlessness that led to the loss of his hair, the loss of his strength, the loss of, of the Lord, even, as you pointed out in verse 20. But now the Lord proves himself faithful, even in the midst of Samson's faithlessness. And the sign of the Lord at work, again, it's not a magical element, but it is the the sign that the Lord is at work, is now that that hair that Samson said, no thanks, I don't need this vow anymore, the Lord says, I have not forgotten you, Samson. And as we'll see, he, he actually remembers Samson in his lowest moment. So I, I think you're right to, to say this is a, a gospel moment, at least a hint of it, and, and maybe some more hints as the text continues. So now we'll keep reading a little farther. So now we're in verse 23. <laughs> Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their god and to rejoice, and they said, Our god has given Samson our enemy into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their god. For they said, Our god has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. 
All right, we'll pause there. So, Pastor Heckman, this this part of the text I think is is very significant because you you begin to see that this text is not simply a matter of a desire for vengeance between Samson and the Philistines, but there's something much bigger going on here. This isn't just Samson versus the Philistines. This is the Lord, Yahweh, versus false gods. And the false god in particular here is Dagon, the false god of the the Philistines in particular. So take us into that, that more significant battle that we're seeing here, the spiritual battle between the Lord and idols. Yeah, and we see here, like you pointed out, this this goes a little deeper. You might say it, it's a first petition issue where we talk about the Lord's Prayer, where we pray, hallowed be your name. And so it's really an issue of, is Dagon God or is Yahweh God? Um, is, is God's name going to be kept holy uh, even when Samson and, and many other people have failed to keep it holy? And this particular portion that we just read through verses 23 through 27 highlights that issue, uh, because what do we pray? Uh, Luther explains God's name is kept holy when the Word of God is taught in its truth and purity, and we as the children of God also lead holy lives according to it. And so here God's name is not being hallowed um, in a couple different ways. Samson has neglected to follow the will of God, so uh, he is not, you know, in a way proclaims God's truth in his life uh, through his actions when he, you know, slept with a prostitute, married a Philistine woman, um, became entangled with Delilah. Uh, he, he failed to hallow God's name, um, even though he'll have another opportunity to do that. Uh, something a little deeper than that is going on. Uh, and that's, we just mentioned the, the issue of the pagan god Dagon. So, um, just a little bit about Dagon. Uh, people think he was the Philistine god of agriculture uh, because his name is related to uh, the word Dagon, the Hebrew Canaanite word for grain. And uh, he he had a really prominent place in Philistine religion. So you see here, it's a, it's a really interesting way that the Philistines treat this. Um, they're profaning the name of Yahweh, they say. Um, you know, we're going to worship him and we're going to attribute this great victory to Dagon, who delivered the one who's representing Yahweh's name, uh, Samson. He delivered Samson over to us. And if you look at how they talk about it, um, they say in verse 24, it's really interesting. They said, our God has given our enemy into our hands, uh, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. So this, um, some people, I think, um, Block in his commentary on Judges called this the divine committal formula, where it says God delivered so-and-so into the hand of so-and-so um, and defeated them. So we see that um, that formula a lot of different times in Judges, uh, where God delivers an enemy into the hand of uh, his people, and here the Philistines are kind of mocking that almost, uh, where they're saying, our God delivered Samson into our hands, which is an affront to who God is. You know, God is the only one who gives enemies into the hands of their victims. So um, at stake here is really the holiness of God's name. Um, and 
and and really when as we'll talk about this in a little bit when Samson is able to defeat the, the Philistines, that's basically God saying Dagon is nothing. Uh, I am the one true God. Um, it wasn't really a show of Samson's might. Samson was a, a faithful instrument of God, certainly, but this was God working through him. Um, and it mimics a little bit what Luther says in his explanation to uh, that first petition of the Lord's Prayer, where he says, God's name is certainly holy in itself. Um, and so he's, he's saying, uh, you know, when we pray in this petition that it may be kept holy among us also, we're not praying God, um, let your name be holy, because if we don't do it, it's not going to happen. Saying God can keep his name holy. God can hold his own. He's not dependent on us to be holy or righteous. He is holy in himself, but uh, God is showing his creatures that he is holy, um, and he's using Samson to do that. So um, so it's, it's a good reminder that, um, first of all, we are called to keep God's name holy, um, when we live according to His will, when we preach and teach God's Word faithfully, when um, we do these things, we are hallowing God's name, but uh, we don't fret when uh, people are mocking God. Um, We don't fret when people uh, spread falsehood about God. Even when we fail to keep God's name holy, it doesn't mean all is lost. It means God will keep his name holy. Uh, He does it graciously through us, but as we see here with Samson, um, he's really establishing, I am the one true God. My name is holy. There's none other like me, not Dagon, none of the other Baals, none of the Canaanite gods. It's it's the Lord alone. Um, And and real quick, just the last little thing I'll mention here, uh, it really makes me think of the stories of uh, like David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, when Goliath is mocking uh, the Israelites and uh, challenging them to represent their God, and David goes out and does that faithfully. Um, or even Elijah and the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings, where we see a, a, a contest of sorts set up between the pro, you know the gods of uh, you know the prophets of Baal that they're representing and the true God that Elijah is representing. So. Um, we see here again God working through people like Elijah, David, and Samson to keep his name holy, but we also give thanks that when we fail to do that, um, the Lord, as Luther says again, is holy with or without our prayers or our hallowing his name. He is holy, and we give thanks to him for that, that we can depend on that even when we fail to do so. I, I think that that last point is particularly important, that this is the the Lord showing himself to be God through Samson, as, as we will see, but the Lord showing himself to be God over all other gods. And, and you brought up David and Goliath, and, and rightly so. Think of the mockery that Goliath has for, for the Israelites and for their God. The same with Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Uh, the the other thought uh, that came to my mind is the, the whole Exodus account, when you think about the ten plagues, and in the ten plagues mm-hmm. you can see how in each one— the Lord is showing the people of Egypt that he is the true God, and their, quote, gods are all idols. They are not real. And this is, I mean, I think this is a really important thing to notice here in Samson's account particularly, because on the one hand, it would be easy to read Samson's story and to to see him at this point and say, you know what, he's getting what he deserved. He, he really did some stupid stuff. 
he was sinful on top of it all and he's he's getting what he deserved and and on the one hand yeah that there's a there's an element of truth to that that Samson's sins have led him to where he is and we even talked about yesterday that perhaps the gouging out of his eyes is is God's own judgment against Samson his eye was lustful and led him into sin and now Samson actually loses those eyes as a sign of, of God's judgment upon Samson but say what you will about Samson that doesn't give the Philistines or any of the enemies of Israel the right to mock Israel or to mock especially the Lord. And so I guess the, the, the point that I, I want to drive home here is that when, when the enemies of the Lord mock him and mock his church, the Lord will defend his own glory and his own honor. He, he, will, he will show the glory of his name regardless of the sins of his people. And the, I guess the amazing thing, the gracious thing in all of it, as we see particularly here with Samson, is that the Lord ends up doing that through his own people, sinful though they may be. And I, I just think that this spiritual battle that's going on here of the Lord versus false gods, we, we really need to to see this uh, particularly. we got about mm-hmm. two minutes here on this side of the break, Pastor Eggman. Wrap, wrap the conversation up for us. Yeah, and one other thing, passage I might bring in, I, 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 this just came to my head, um, Galatians 6, uh, where Paul says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Uh, so but I guess Paul is kind of saying whoever uh, mocks God will, you know, that will come back on them, as we're certainly seeing here with the Philistines. But uh, we also see whoever sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And uh, as we'll see in this story in, in just a little bit, the Spirit of the Lord returns uh, to Samson to, um, you know, reap God's, you know, divine judgment on the Philistines, and also partially the deliverance uh, of Israel. Um, And so, yeah, I I think that's really important to keep in mind where, um, yes, Yahweh is the Lord, and he does graciously uh, work through his people. Uh, You know, even Samson, there is a little bit of irony there. He it mentions when he meets the Philistine woman at first, she was right in his eyes. And see, at the end of the book, people were doing what was right in their eyes, and then Samson loses his. Uh, but it, again, it doesn't mean he's lost Yahweh, uh, and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him to give him that last act of deliverance, as we'll see. But, um, you know, w- whether people, uh, you know, mock God or ignore him, uh, it doesn't negate God's might and God's holiness. And, God shows that one way or another, um, and he, again, he chooses to do it through his weak and humbled instruments to kind of show us, as we'll see in a second, when we are weak, then we are strong, as Paul says, and we'll get to that um, in just a little bit. Yep, we'll pick that up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron. Going to take that short break right now, but we'll be right back. Please stick around.
Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, August 6th, and we are studying Judges chapter 16, verses 22 through 31, the death of Samson. We've got Pastor Joel Heckman with us. Pastor Heckman serves at St. John's Lutheran Church in Okarchi, Oklahoma. Pastor Heckman, prior to the break, we, we looked at this, this matter of the Lord versus the false god Dagon, and the Lord is going to prove that he is, in fact, the only true God, that Dagon has not won any sort of victory over him in this capture of Samson. We haven't gotten to that part of the text yet. And, and in the meantime, this mockery that the people of Philistia are offering toward the Lord and toward his servant Samson continues. The, the text says that they call out Samson to entertain them. What, what, do we, what do we see happening here with Samson entertaining the Philistines? Yes, yeah, so uh, a couple of different commentaries analyze it a little bit. They they say it, it might the this place where Samson has been brought has might have been built right next to an arena. There were probably uh, people kind of leaning over on the roof to see, but they're really it's it's just a huge form of mockery towards Samson, where um, not just you know it, it's pretty evident that Sam, you know Samson he's he's at a, again at a low point, but the Philistines really reinforced this where. Um, they describe him as the ravager of our country, and now they're doing everything to make him kind of feel weak and small and show you belong to the wrong God. You have fallen into this circumstance where no one can help you. Uh, you who were once strong are now weak. Um, so reading into it a little bit more, we can see, you know, Samson, who, yes, he was once strong and had this air of invincibility about him is now relegated to entertaining his enemies, which shows us a couple of things. First, um, the danger of relying on our own strength instead of God's and where it can leave us, but also that, as I said a little bit before the break, how God's strength is made perfect in weakness when we've been brought low and humbled. So, um, we think about the rest of scripture and what it teaches about relying on our own strength. Um, when Paul tells us to flee sexual immorality in 1 Corinthians 6, this is certainly something that Samson um, didn't do very well. Um, he kind of tiptoed around it rather than fleeing it, and um, he forgot the sixth commandment. He, he kind of ignored it. Um, you know, maybe there was an internal struggle where he was attempting to resist this, but he certainly did not put himself in situations that were helpful for him or conducive to following God's will, or maybe he thought, you know, I'm, I'm strong enough that I can resist this, or I'm strong enough that this, this person won't draw me away from God's will. Um, and, and yet the guy who killed thousands of soldiers can't overcome, you know, a, a woman who tries to draw him away from God's will. Um, and, 
And we, we see this again in 1 Corinthians 12, or sorry, 10 verse 12, where Paul says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So it, it could very well be that um, Samson thought he was just so strong that nothing could bring him down. And it's probably the, the biggest, way, the easiest way to fall into temptation is to think you're too strong for it or that you're above it, um, that you could never fall into that sin that that person committed. And then, you know, it, it's kind of a shock when you find yourself committing that sin. Um, but we, you know, and we also see Paul saying in First Timothy 4, uh, bodily training of a, is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So he's focusing on, you know, again, not it wasn't Samson's physical strength that made him, uh, you know, mighty or special. It should have been the wisdom and the godliness that he had as a judge. Um, and then even even in all this, where we see Samson, you know, fails, he is uh, a sinner who had had so much potential, but then really put himself in poor situations and failed to keep God's will. Um, I'm also, you know, reminded of Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, where he says, uh, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And, you know, it's it's such a perfect way to illustrate that is with the story of Samson. Um, He was a sinner, uh, stronger in body than he was in wisdom, certainly, but also a sinner who found God's grace and the strength that God gave him, not only before he was in the situation, but after, as we're going to see in a moment. And, you know, it's kind of easy for us to stand on the sidelines and say, you know, what a fool Samson was. Of course he shouldn't have done that, but uh, that's probably the kind of attitude that's going to get us right in the same situation he might be, where we think we're too strong for this temptation and we find ourselves falling into it. So, how do we avoid that trap? Well, um, look at what Luther says in his first of the 95 theses when he says, Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent. When he said that, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentant. Um, so we talk about daily drowning the old Adam, the sinful nature within us by repentance of our sins, confessing those sins, and then rising to new life through that forgiveness that God gives us. Um, that's a great way to kind of keep with that law and gospel at the front of our lives and avoid thinking we're too strong for something, you know, just acknowledging I'm a sinner, but I'm also a saint. I'm a sinner who is susceptible to temptations. Uh, we all have different temptations that we're susceptible to. Um, some are stronger for certain people than they are for others. Um, but the trick is don't think you're you're so strong that you can't commit a certain sin. Just remember that. God calls us to guard against these, whether it's through the help of other people, confessing our sins to them, having them keep us accountable, but also it's going back to God in repentance, uh, saying, I'm a sinner, I have sinned, and I need your grace, and continually doing that. So while we're no better than Samson, uh, we're just like him. Uh, we're sinners in need, of God, in need of God's grace, and when we are weak, uh, when we have been brought low by guilt and, sh- and shame, and uh, we realize that our pride has destroyed 
a lot of things, that's where God gives us strength and says, your sins are forgiven. Um, I'm still with you. I still love you. And that's exactly what we see here with Samson. He he was in a very low place of weakness, and then God uh, granted him strength, as we'll see in a moment here. <laughs> right. God, God's strength is about to be on full display within Samson's weakness, a, a greater strength than, than even Samson has shown throughout his, his time as judge. Now, in his weakness, God's strength will be shown more completely. So we continue reading here in Judges 16. We're in verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. That's the end of the account of Samson, Judges 16, 28 through 31. So Pastor Heckman, there's there's pretty much two parts to this text. There's Samson's prayer, which is, is really twofold. He offers two prayers. And then there's Samson's deed. So we'll start with, with Samson's prayer. And uh, I, I read it, and you know, I, I try I try not to be too harsh on on the the saints of the Old Testament, Samson included. So on the one hand, I mean, great prayer, Samson. You know, please remember me. That's that's an important thing. But then he goes and says, "I want to be avenged," and and that well, that that seems to go a bit too far. What do you make of Samson's prayer? Well, we certainly see that he still has faith in God because if he didn't he wouldn't have called upon him for help. He, he, there's that trust there where he sees Yahweh is still my God, and I have certainly sinned and let him down, but I still believe that he can help me. And and, and so it, it's, it's kind of difficult because I, there's probably, it, it doesn't come through very clearly in the text, but there's that remorse where he has a sense of finality. Uh, I'm no longer in a position of control or power. I'm completely dependent on Yahweh, which he always was. But here, it's it's kind of a an acknowledgement, a final um, admitting that I am not strong enough to get myself out of this one. You know, almost like uh, when he uh, lied to Delilah those times when, you know, he said, do this and I'll lose my strength and you could get out of it. But now it's kind of like I'm hand tied. Um, so he certainly still has faith in Yahweh. It's very difficult to ignore how, I, I don't know if selfish is the right word his requests are, but um, when you look at the text itself and his words, um, strengthen me so that I can be avenged on the Philippines for my two eyes. So he's very angry um, and uh, he, he he has a lot of hatred, maybe, I don't know if that's the right word, but a lot of anger that's coming through against the Philistines. And then he says, um, let me die with the Philistines. So there he, you know, you almost see he's remembering what his initial, you know, purpose was, was to deliver Israel. So there you can see maybe a little bit of faithfulness to what God had 
planned for him too was to deliver Israel from the Philistines, but um, still a difficult prayer to see a whole lot more than you know kind of selfishness and um, attention to what he wanted rather than what is good for the people, what is Yahweh's will. But even so, uh, again, that faith comes through and. Um, Samson asked God to remember him. Don't forget me, God. And one thing we need to pay attention to is, you know, if Samson is asking God to remember him, does that mean that God had forgotten him? Uh, And the answer is no. Um, This is, it's kind of like, if you think about Genesis 40, where Joseph makes that same request to the cupbearer, it's similar in some ways where, uh, Joseph was saying, please don't remember me when you go to Pharaoh, um, regard me. Here it means a little bit more of, um, you know, don't, uh, not so much, God, you've, for, you've completely forgotten me, please remember me in that sense, but really more, Samson's asking God, take note of me or act on behalf of me. It's from the words of Car, uh, and that's really, it's not the opposite of forget, in this instance, remember me. It's really, Lord, take note of me in my weakness. Um, and we see that uh, in other places in Scripture where Genesis 8, verse 1, God remembers Noah and his family. He regards them. It's not like God can forget his people. It's just um, that's an instance where it says God had regard for Noah. Uh, Psalm 106, verse 4, the psalmist asks, Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Uh, Psalm 25, verses 6 through 7, has this theme. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been of of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. And that's really kind of an echo of what Samson is saying here. It's not that God forgot Samson, God cannot forget his people, um, even though Samson and all of Israel had certainly forgotten God in many instances. Um, but God remembers his people, he regards them, he hears their prayers and answers them, and doesn't forget their promises. Um, even though Satan would like us to think this, maybe that's what Satan was tempting Samson to think at this point. Um, but God doesn't forget his children, and I think Samson recognizes that at least a little bit in this prayer. As self-centered as it is, there is still that faith in God's remembrance coming through where he had to have had at least a little bit of faith and confidence that God would hear him and answer his prayer if he reached out, um, which does say something. You know, even in this very uh, compromised and weak position where Samson, you know, could have rejected God saying, um, you know, I'm in this position, it's God's fault. Uh, It's almost a sign of repentance in that he prays to God, help me, um, even though it doesn't come through clearly. He's saying, I need your help, Lord, and only you can deliver me from this precarious situation. So that's that's really what I see coming through in this prayer, even though it's not clear. Uh, certainly selfishness, but also faith on the part of Samson in a very weak position. Right. I, I think I think we we can't lose sight of the the weak faith that Samson does still have at this at this point. It's it's very easy. I think you said this earlier. It's very easy to to be critical of Samson throughout the account. And 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 yet who who among us has perfectly strong faith? 
And, and so I think, I mean, the ver- and you and I talked about this before we went on air this morning, Pastor Heckman. One of the things that comes to my mind when we think about Samson, where he is right now, is that he gets mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, which is that, that long chapter where the author of Hebrews lists all of these people from the Old Testament who lived by faith. And, and Samson is listed there among other judges as men in the Old Testament, saints in the Old Testament, who lived by faith. And I, I, I want to I connect those two texts. And I think this is a good place to at least bring it out so we can chew on it a little bit for the rest of the, the study. We've got about 10 minutes left now, just as a heads up. But I, I think that's a, it's a key thing, because the, the writer to the Hebrews in the New Testament recognizes that, that even at a moment like this, there is still faith in, in Samson. He is still living by faith, and, and it is evident in crying out in prayer. And I also want to just make the, the point before we move on too far, that that faith there in Hebrews chapter 11, we, we studied this on Sharper Iron when, when Pastor Fisk was the host. It's been a while now, but, but we studied this, and we, we made the point over and over again during that study that the faith that's being talked about there is, is the faith in the resurrection, that, that that's the faith that Samson has. And I, I think if we, if we connect those two texts like that, I really think that adds some of those, those notes of, of hopefulness and redemption into the account of Samson that otherwise would, would I think, be pretty tragic. And, and that, I think, you know, I mean, that, that takes us then to the account of, of Samson's death. So he says, I mean, as you pointed out, right, he says, let me die with the Philistines, which almost sounds hopeless, but again, connecting Hebrews 11, maybe maybe not entirely. He 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 dies, and it's almost, you know, like, you're, you're kind of left wondering what could have been, you know, if, if Samson hadn't had the troubles that he had with women, if he hadn't fallen for Delilah, if, if all of these ifs, like, what could have been, the, the ending to the text almost leaves you with a little sour taste in your mouth, but I, I don't think that's quite where we are. Pastor Heckman, help us help us into this account of Samson's death. Yeah, and it's really, as you said, it's tempting to see this as a big story of missed potential. Um, it ends on a, I guess, in, in uh, a literary uh, analysis. It's more of a tragedy than a comedy. A tragedy is where a story ends on a kind of a down note, a sad note, where something bad has happened, where you think of Romeo and Juliet. A comedy ends kind of on a higher, lighter note, a more positive note. And here uh, we see Samson, he kills, does finally kill the Philistines and, uh, you know, literally brings down the house and then he's buried and that's all we hear of Samson until Hebrews 11, really. I don't know that he is mentioned anywhere else um, in the scriptures that I know of. He might be. I'd have to look into that. But So you could see it as, wow, what could have been? Uh, the guy um, had all this strength. He could have used it for so many good things to help people who were physically weak to fully deliver Israel from the Philistines, to, you know, tear down the Asherah poles and the altars to Baal and build in place of them altars to Yahweh. Um, All these things could have been done, but his only real, you know, real act of uh, profound deliverance for Israel came in his death. Um, But as tempting as it is to see, again, this is just a story of mispotential. It's we have to see it as uh, one of God's, you know, might and sovereignty coming through. And we said uh, this is not there. There are first petition issues here, but there's also uh, first commandment issues where we say you shall have no other gods. Fear, love, and trust in God above all things. 
when God through Samson kills uh, these Philistines who are mocking him, um, God establishes himself as the one true God, and even um, even though Samson failed to do many things with that strength, uh, we do see him as a faithful instrument of, of God's suffering at the end of his life to um, deliver this victory to Israel, even though it wasn't a full victory, it was um, you know, a, a victory that got the ball rolling uh, with the deliverance from the Philistines. And, uh, you know, if there's any comfort in this death, it's, again, not only are death and life in Yahweh's hands, but uh, God's purposes prevail uh, through his weak, sinful people. And um, connecting it to Hebrews 11, I think, is a really good thing. Um, let me just read a couple verses there. It's uh, Hebrews eleven thirty two through 33. Um, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, and then it goes on to list all their accomplishments. And one of them, he says, um, who were made strong out of weakness. And I imagine the writer of Hebrews has Samson in mind as he places that there, and then even later in verse 35 says, women receive back their dead by resurrection, which brings in that theme of resurrection that you said the Hebrew writer had in mind. Um, And that is probably something Samson has in mind here, too, Um, the hope of the resurrection, where Old Testament people did believe in the resurrection of the dead, that God uh, would accomplish this uh, at a future date. So, Again, it's not an explicit thing that comes through in the death of Samson here, but connecting it to Hebrews, I think, is critical. It's what we call biblical theology, taking different passages in Scripture and letting other portions of Scripture interpret them uh, like fulfillments of prophecies. But also here, the writer of Hebrews has this comment, and we can say with confidence, um, Samson did have this faith in God, and most likely it was a, that faith entailed at least in part, a hope in the resurrection that, you know, I'm going to have to, 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 to sacrifice my life here to get this victory, but I know that God uh, some way, somehow will give me life again and strength someday. So um, not, not completely hopeless. Um, it does look very hopeless uh, at the outset, um, and when we finish this text, it's kind of bleak, but there is that hope, and I think you can say that with confidence, especially tying Hebrews 11 back to the story of Samson. Right, right. And and at the same time, so not not a hopeless text, not by any means. At the same time, I, I think I think the text does leave you wanting more, and and rightly so. And I think maybe that's this, there's there's a bit of a transition here in the book of Judges, and we'll talk more about this tomorrow, probably when we get to chapter seventeen. The the judges, as we typically think about them, their accounts end after Samson, and then chapters seventeen through twenty one really do something a, a bit different in the book of Judges. So there there's a bit of a, a transition here. And at the end of this text, you're you're left wanting something more. You you get the picture that even Samson, with this hope of the resurrection that he's got, this this faith that he does have in the Lord, that's evidenced even in death. You get the picture that Samson isn't the end of the story. There's got to be someone better coming. And of course, Pastor Heckman, you and I know that someone better who is coming is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Take us into this text, the contrast between Samson and Christ that that propel us forward to see Jesus as our true and final deliverer. 
Yes, so so we see uh, all these judges and deliverers in, in the book of Judges are meant to deliver Israel from their enemies, and um, that does happen in part, but um, the ultimate judge and deliverer is, of course, Christ, who has done what no earthly judge or prophet, priest, or king could do. He He's the one who's delivered us from sin's curse and, and justified us by grace before the Father. So uh, we see in Samson certain things, and we see Jesus a, a perfect and gracious contrast where um, God's will is the chief concern of Christ, where it wasn't for Samson. Um, Jesus emptied himself and took the form of a servant, uh, as Philippians 2 says, where Samson didn't do this. Um, Jesus resists temptation perfectly. We can see a lot of that in Matthew 4. Uh, when Jesus calls upon God, he gives him glory is in John 12, 28, and uh, he asked that God would fulfill his promises as Jesus prays in John 11, 41 through 42. Um, but most important, uh, what Jesus does that no one else can do, uh, not Samson or anyone else, is his sacrifice on the cross fully delivers us from our sins. Uh, that, that stands in marked contrast from what the text says about Samson, he would begin to deliver uh, Israel from the Philistines. Jesus fully delivers us from sin's curse, from the might of death, from the power of Satan and sin. And uh, a really interesting contrast, when Samson bows his, set, his head, he says, I want to be avenged for my two eyes. When Jesus bows his head on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and, and it is finished, and all these gracious things where he bows his head, gives up his spirit, and accomplishes our salvation. Um, and, and the biggest part of this, too, is Jesus didn't stay dead after he was buried. God raised him from the dead for our justification, and uh, so we see uh, God working through Samson to partially deliver Israel from the Philistines. We see God working through Christ, his his one and only son, um, fully God and fully man, to deliver us uh, uh, through his death and resurrection from the power of sin. And so when we read the book of Judges, we, uh, you know, we see we see a lot of ourselves in that sinners who fail to fear, love and trust in God above all things, but also we see sinners who are healed and delivered from sin uh, through God's power. Uh, Samson was delivered with one final act of strength before he died, and we are daily delivered uh, through the forgiveness of sins uh, when we receive the Lord's Supper and the absolution. Um, so when we read this book of Judges, we see um, you know, Yahweh working through his people, uh, even in their weakness to work his purposes and his mercy on his people, keeping their identity as God's people, even when they sin. And we see that very same thing in our lives. Um, and we see the grace of God and the power of God in our weakness fully on display uh, in Jesus Christ, our Savior. So uh, I think that's a great way to read not just this story, but uh, the entire book of Judges. Pastor Joel Heckman is the pastor at St. John's Lutheran Church in Okarchi, Oklahoma, helping us this morning with Judges 16, verses 22 through 31. Pastor Heckman, thanks for being our guest as always. Thank you. It's, it's been a real joy. What Samson could not do, our Lord Jesus Christ has. Samson died in the hope of the resurrection, and that is what our Lord Jesus Christ has won for him, for you, for me. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.